0: Banquet of Satan. John 2, verses 9 and 10. The governor of the feast called the bridegroom and said unto him, Every man at the beginning does set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But you have kept the good wine until now. The governor of the feast said more than he intended to say. Or rather, there is more truth in what he said than he himself imagined. This is the established rule all the world over. The good wine first, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. It is a rule with men, and have not hundreds of disappointed hearts bewailed it. Friendship first, the oily tongue, the word softer than butter, and afterwards a drawn sword. Ahithophel first presents a lordly dish of loving kindness to David, then afterwards that which is worse, for he forsakes his master, and becomes a counselor of his rebel son. Judas presents first of all the dish of fair speech and of kindness. The Savior partook thereof. He walked to the house of God in company with him and took sweet counsel with him. But afterwards, there came the dregs of the wine. He that eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Judas, the thief, betrayed his master, bringing forth afterwards that which is worse. You have found it so, with many whom you thought your friends. In the heyday of prosperity, when the sun was shining and the birds were singing, and all was fair and gay and cheerful with you, they brought forth a good wine. But there came a chilling frost, and nipped your flowers, and the leaves fell off the trees, and your streams were frosted with the ice. And when they brought forth that which is worse, they forsook you and fled." They left you in your hour of peril, and taught you that great truth, that cursed is he that trusts in man and makes flesh his arm, and this is the way all the world over. I say it once again not merely with men, but with nature too. Alas for us, if you were all, and nothing beyond, O oh earth, for does not this world serve just the same in our youth? It brings forth the best wine. Then... We have the sparkling eye and the ear atone to music. Then the blood flows swiftly through the veins and the pulse beats joyously. But wait a little, and there shall come forth afterwards that which is worse. For the keepers of the house shall tremble, and the strong men shall bow themselves. The grinders shall fail, because they are few. They, that look out of the window, shall be darkened. All the daughters of music shall be brought low, then shall the strong man totter, the grasshopper shall be a burden and desire shall fail. the mourner shall go about the streets. First, there is a flowing cup of youth and afterwards the stagnant waters of old age, lest God shall cast into those dregs a flesh flood of his loving kindness and tender mercy, so that once again... As it always happens to the Christian, the cup shall run over, and again sparkle with delight. O Christian, trust not in men, rely not upon the things of this present time. For this is evermore the rule with men and with the world, do good wine first, and when we have well drunk, then that which is worse. This morning, however, I am about to introduce you to two houses of feasting. first. I shall bid you look within the doors of the devil's house, and you will find he is true to this rule. He brings forth first a good wine, and when men are well drunk, and their brains are muddled therewith, then he brings forth that which is worse. Heaven bid you look there and tremble, and take heed to the warning. I shall then attempt to enter with you into the banqueting house of our beloved Lord and Master Jesus Christ, and of him... We shall be able to say, as the governor of the feast said to the bridegroom, You have kept the good wine until now. Your feasts grow better and not worse. Your wines grow richer. Your viands are daintier far and your gifts more precious than before. You have kept the good wine until now. First, we are to take a warning glance at the house of feasting which Satan has built. For his wisdom has built her house, and hewn out her seven pillars, so has folly his temple, and his tavern of feasting, into which he continually tempts the unwary. Look within the banqueting house, and I will show you four tables, and the guests that sit there. And as you look at those tables, you shall see the courses brought in, you shall see the wine cups brought, and you shall see them vanish one after another. And ye shall mark that the rule holds good at all four tables, first, the good wine, and afterwards, that which is worse. Yes, I shall go further afterwards, that which is worst of all, at the first table to which I shall invite your attention, though I beseech you never to sit down and drink there, sits the profligate the tell of the profligate is a gay table. It is covered over with a gaudy crimson, and all the vessels upon it look exceedingly bright and glistening. Many there are that sit there, but they know not to tear the guess of hell, and at the end of all the feast shall be in the depth of perdition. See now the great governor of the feast. As he comes in, he has a bland smile upon his face. His garments are not black." but he is girded with a robe of many colors. He has a honeyed word on his lip and a tempting witchery in the sparkle of his eye. He brings in the cup and says, Hey, young man, drink here. It sparkled in the cup. It moves itself aright. Do you see it? It is a wine cup a pleasure. This is the first cup at the banqueting house of Satan. The young man takes it and sips the liquor. At first, it is a cautious sip. It is but a little. He will take, and then he will restrain himself. He does not intend to indulge much in lust. He means not to plunge headlong into perdition. There is a flower there on the edge of that cliff. He will reach forward a little and pluck it. But it is not his intention to dash himself from that beetling crag and destroy himself. Not he. He thinks it easy to put away the cup. When he has tasted its flavor, he has no design to abandon himself to its intoxication. He takes a shallow draft, but oh, how sweet it is. How it makes his blood tingle within him. What a fool. I was not to have tasted this before, he thinks. Was there ever joy like this? Could it be thought that bodies could be capable of such ecstasy as this? He drinks again. This time he takes a deeper draft and the wine is hot in his veins. Oh, how blessed he thinks he is. What would you not now say in the praise of Bacchus or Venus or whatever shape Beelzebub chooses to assume? He becomes a very orator in praise of sin. It is fair. It is pleasant. The deep damnation of lust appears as joyous as the transports of heaven. He drinks, he drinks, he drinks again, till his brain begins to reel with the intoxication of his sinful delight. This is the first course. Drink, O you drunkards of Ephraim, and bind the crown of pride about your head, and call us fools because we put your cup from us. Drink with the harlot, and sup with the lustful You may think yourselves wise for so doing, but we know that after these things there comes something worse. For your vine is as a vine of Sodom, and of the fields of Gomorrah. Your grapes are grapes of gall, the clusters are bitter. Your wine is the poison of dragons, and the cruel venom of asps. Now with a leer upon his brow, the subtle governor of the feast rises from his seat. His victim has had enough of the best wine. He takes away the cup. And he brings in another, not quite so sparkling, look into the liquor. It is does not beat it over with the sparkling bubbles of rapture. It is all flat and dull and insipid. It is called the cup of satiety. A man has had enough of pleasure. And like a dog he vomits and like a dog he will return to his vomit again. Who has woe? Who is redness of the eyes? They that Terry longed at the wine. I'm now speaking figuratively of wine. As well as literally, the wine of lust brings the same redness of the eyes. The profligate soon discovers that all rounds of pleasure end in satiety. What? says he. What more can I do, dare? I have committed every wickedness that can be imagined. And I have drained every cup of pleasure. Give me something fresh. I have tried the theaters all round there. I don't care so much as one single farthing for them all. I have gone to every kind of pleasure that I can conceive. It is all over. Gaiety itself grows flat and dull. What am I to do? And this is the devil's second course. The course of satiety, a fitful drowsiness, a result of the previous excess. Thousands there are who are drinking of the tasteless cup of satiety every day in some novel invention, whereby they may kill time, some new discovery, whereby they may give a fresh vent to their iniquity would be a wonderful thing to them, and if some man should rise up who could find out for them some new fashion of wickedness, some deeper depths of the deeps of the nethermost hell of lasciviousness, they would bless his name for having given them something fresh to excite them. That is the devil's second course, and do you see them partaking of it? There are some of you that are having a deep draft of it this morning. You are the jaded horses of the fend of lust, the disappointed followers of the will of the wisp of pleasure. God knows. If you were to speak your heart out, you would be obliged to say there, I have tried pleasure, and I do not find it pleasure. I have gone around, and am just like the blind horse at the mill. I have to go around again, I am spell-bound to the sin, but I cannot take delight in it now as I once did, for all the glory of it is as a fading flower, and as a hasty fruit before the summer. And while the feaster remains in the putrid sea of his infatuation, another scene is opening. The governor of the feast commands another liquor to be broached. This time... The Finn bears a black goblet, and he presents it with eyes full of hellfire, flashing with fierce damnation. Drink of that, sir, he says. And a man sifts it, and starts back and shrieks. Oh, God, did ever I must come to this? You must drink, sir. He de a the first cup. Must drink the second and the third. Drink. Though it is like fire down your throat, drink it. Though it is as lava of etna in your bowels, drink. You must drink. He that sins must suffer. He that is a profligate in his youth must have rottenness in his bones and disease within his loins. He who rebels against the laws of God must reap the harvest in his own body here. Oh, there are some dreadful things that I may tell you of the third course. Satan's house has a front chamber full of everything that is enticing to the eye and bewitching to the sensual taste. But there is a back chamber, and no one knows. No one has seen the whole of its horrors. There is a secret chamber where he shovels out the creatures whom he has himself destroyed. A chamber beneath whose floor is a blazing of hell, and above, whose boards a heated at that horrible pit is felt. It may be a physician's place rather than mine to tell of the horrors that some have to suffer as a result of their iniquity. I leave that for now. But let me tell the profligate spendthrift that the poverty which he will endure is a result of his set of extravagance. Let him know also that the remorse of conscience that will overtake him is not an accidental thing, to drops by chance from heaven. It is a result of his own iniquity. Depend upon it, brothers and sisters. Sin carries an infant misery in its bowels, and sooner or later it must be delivered of its terrible child. If we sow the seed, we must reap the harvest. Thus, the law of hell's house stands first to good wine, then afterwards, that which is worse, the last course remains to be presented, and now, you strong men who mock at the warning which I would deliver to you with a brother's voice, and with an affectionate heart, though with rough language, come here, and drink of this last cup, the sinner has at he and brought himself to the grave. His hopes and joys were like gold put into a bag full of holes. And they have all vanished, vanished forever. And now he has come to the last. His sins haunt him. His transgressions perplex him. He is taken like a bowl in a net. And how shall he escape? He dies and descends from disease to damnation till mortal language attempt to tell you the horrors of that last tremendous cup, of which a profligate must drink and drink forever. Look at it. You cannot see its depths, but cast an eye upon its seething surface. I hear the noise of rushing to and fro, and a sound as of gnashing of teeth, and a wailing of despairing souls. I look into that cup, And I hear a voice coming up from his depths. He's, shall go away into everlasting punishment. Tophet is prepared of old. To pile thereof is wood. And much smoke. The breath of the Lord like a stream of brimstone shall kindle it. And what do you say to this last course of Satan? Who among us shall dwell with devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? profligate, I beseech you, in the name of God, start from this table. Oh, be not so careless at your cups, be not so asleep, secure in the peace which you now enjoy. Man, death, is at the door, and at his heels a swift destruction, as for you, who as yet have been restrained by a careful father, and the watchfulness of an anxious mother, I beseech you, shun the house of sin and folly. Let the wise man's words be written on your heart, and be you mindful of them in the hour of temptation. Remove your way far from her, and do not come near the door of her house, for the lips of a strange woman drop as an honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil, but her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold on hell. Do you see that other table yonder in the middle of the palace? Ah, good easy souls. Many of you had thought that you never went to the feast of hell at all. But there is a table for you, too. It is covered over with a fair white cloth. And all the vessels upon the table are most clean and comely. This wine looks not like the wine of Gomorrah. It moves aright, like the wine from the grapes of Eshcol. It seems to have no intoxication in it. It is like the ancient wine which they press from the grape into the cup. Heaven in it. No deadly poison. Do you see the men who sit at this table? How self-contented they are. Ask the white friends who wait at it and they will tell you. This is the table of the self-righteous. The Pharisee sits there. You may know him. He has his phylactery between his eyes. To him of his garment is made exceeding broad. He is one of the best of the best professors. Ah, said Satan. As he draws the curtain and shuts off the table where the profligates are carousing. Be quiet. Don't make too much noise. Lest the sanctimonious hypocrite should guess what company they are in. Those self-righteous people are my guests quite as much as you, and I have them quite as safely. So Satan, like an angel of light, brings forth a gilded goblet, looking like the chalice of the table of communion. And what wine is that? It seems to be the very wine of the sacred Eucharist. It is called the wine of self-satisfaction, and around the brim you may see the bubbles of pride. Look. It is swelling froth upon the bowl. God, I thank you that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. You know that cup, my self-deceiving hearers. Oh, that you knew the deadly hemlock, which is mixed therein. Sin. As other men do? Oh, not you, not at all. You're not going to submit yourself to the righteousness of Christ. What need you? You're as good as your neighbors. If you're not saved, you ought to be, you think. Don't you pay everybody twenty shillings in the pound? Did you ever rob anybody in your life? You do your neighbors a good turn. You are as good as other people. Very good. Dead is the first cup the devil gives and the good wine makes you swell with self-important dignity as it fumes, enters your heart, and puff it up with an accursed pride. Yes, I see you sitting in the room so cleanly swept, and so neatly garnished, and I see the crowds of your admirers standing around the table, even many of God's own children, who say, Oh, did I were half as good as he, while the very humility of the righteous provides you with provender. For your pride. Wait a while, you unctuous hypocrite. Wait a while, for there is a second course to come. Satan looks with quite as self satisfied an air upon his guest this time as he did upon a troop of rioters. Ah, he says, I cheated those gay fellows with a cup of pleasure. I gave them afterwards a dull cup of satiety. And I have cheated you too. You think yourselves all right, but I have deceived you twice. I have befooled you indeed. So he brings in a cup which sometimes he himself does not like to serve. It is called the cup of discontent and unquietness of mind. And many there are that have to drink this after all their self-satisfaction. Do you not find? You, did are very good in your own esteem, but have no interest in Christ. That when you are alone and begin to turn over your accounts for eternity, that they do not square somehow, that you cannot strike the balance exactly to your own side after all, as you thought you could. have not, you sometimes found that when you thought you were standing on a rock, there was a quivering beneath your feet. You heard the Christian sing boldly, Bold shall I stand in that great day for who anything to my charge shall lay, while through your blood absolved I am from sin's tremendous curse and shame. And you have said, Well, I cannot sing that. I've been as good a churchman as ever lived. I never miss going to my church all these years, but I cannot say I have a solid confidence. You had once a hope of self-satisfaction, but now, The second course has come in, and you are not quite so contented. Such must be the fate of the self-righteous. You thought there was a bridge of ceremonies. Did baptism, confirmation, and the Lord's Supper made up all the solid arches of a bridge of good works and duties? But when you come to die, there shall be heard the cry, The bridge is broken, the bridge is broken. It will be in vain for you to turn round then. Death is close behind you. He forces you onward and you discover what it is to perish. Though so having neglected the great salvation and attempting to save yourself through your own good works, this is the last course, but one, and your last course of all, to worst wine. Your everlasting portion must be the same as that of the profligate. Good as you thought yourself to be, inasmuch as you proudly rejected Christ, you must drink the wine cup, the wrath of God, that cup which is full of trembling. The wicked of the earth shall wring out the dregs of that cup, and drink them. And you also must drink of it, as deep as they. Oh, beware in time. Put away your high looks and humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Some of you have yet escaped the lash, but there is a third table crowded with the most honorable guests. I believe there have been more princes and kings, mayors and aldermen, and great merchants sitting at this table than at any other. It is called the table of worldliness. Humph, says a man. Well, I dislike the profligate. There is my eldest son. I've been hard at work saving up money all my life, and there's that young fellow. He will not stick to business. He's become a real profligate. I'm very glad the minister spoke so sharp about that. As for me there now, I don't care about your self-righteous people, a single farthing. To me, it is of no account at all. I don't care at all about religion in the slightest degree. I like to know whether the funds rise or fall, or whether there is an opportunity of making a good bargain. That's about all I care for. Ah, worldling, I've read of a friend of yours who was clothed in scarlet and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. Do you know what became of him? You should remember it. For the same end awaits yourself. The end of his feast must be the end of yours. If your God is this world, depend upon it. You shall find that your way is full of bitterness. Now see that table of the worldly man, the mere worldling, who lives for gain. Satan brings him in a flowing cup. Dare, he says, young man. You were starting in business. You need not care about the conventionalities of honesty or about the ordinary old-fashioned fancies of religion. Get rich as quick as ever you can. Get money. Get money honestly if you can, but if not, get it anyhow, says the devil, and down he puts his tankard card. There, he says, is a foaming draft for you. Yeah, says the young man. I have abundance now. My hopes are indeed realized. Here, then, you see the first and best wine of the worldling's feast. And many of you are tempted to envy this man. Oh, that I had such a prospect in business as one. I'm not half so sharp as he is. I could not deal as he deals. My religion would not let me. But how fast he gets rich. Oh, that I could prosper as he does! Come, my brother, judge not before the time. There is a second course to come, the thick and nauseous draught of care. To man is God is money, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare. Wealth, ill-gotten or ill-used or hoarded, brings canker with it that does not kinker the gold and silver, but kinkers the man's heart. And a kinkered heart is one of the most awful things a man can have. Ah, see this money lover, and mark the care which sits upon his heart. There is a poor old woman, that lives near his lodge gate. She has but a pittance a week, but she says, Bless the Lord, I have enough. She never asks how she is to live. Or how she is to die, or how she is to be buried, but sleeps sweetly on the pillow of contentment and faith. And here is this poor fool, with untold gold. He is miserable, because he happened to drop a sixpence as he walked along the streets, or because he had an extra call upon his charity to which the presence of some friend compelled him to yield, or perhaps he groans because his coat wears out too soon. After this comes avarice. Many have had to drink of that cup. May God save any of us from its fiery drops. A great American preacher has said, covetousness breeds misery. To sight of houses better than our own. Of dress beyond our means. Of jewels costlier than we may wear. Of stately equipage and rare curiosities beyond our reach. These hatch the viper brood of covetous thoughts the poor, who would be rich, tormenting the rich, who would be richer the covetous man pines to see pleasure, he is sad in the presence of cheerfulness, and the joy of the world is his sorrow, because all the happiness of others is not his. I do not wonder that God abhors him. He inspects his heart as he would a cave full of noisome birds or a nest of rattling reptiles, and loathes the sight of its crawling tenants. To the covetous man life is a nightmare, and God lets him wrestle with it as best he may. Mammon might build his palace on such a heart, and pleasure bring all its revelry there, honor all his garlands. It would be like pleasures in a sepulchre and garlands in a tomb. When a man becomes average, all he has is nothing to him. More, 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 he says, like some poor creatures in a terrible fever who cry, drink, 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 and you give them drink. But after they have it, their thirst increases, like the horse leech. To cry, give, give, give. Ever is a raving madness, which seeks to grasp the world in its arms, and yet despises the plenty it has already. This is a curse of which many have died, and some have died with the bags of gold in their hands and with their misery upon their brow, because they could not take it with them, into their coffin, and could not carry it into another world. Well then, there comes the next course. Richard Baxter and those terrible old preachers used to picture the miser and the man who lived only to make gold in the middle of hell. And they imagined mammon pouring melted gold down his throat dare say the monk and devils that is what you wanted you've got it now drink 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 and the molten gold is poured down i shall not however indulge in such terrible imaginations but this much i know he that lives to himself here must perish he who sets his affections upon things on earth is not dug deep He has built his house upon the sands, and when the rain descends and the floods come, down must come his house, and great must be the fall. It is the best wine first, however. It is a respectable man, respectable and respected. Everybody honors him, and afterwards, that which is worse. When meanness has beggared his wealth, and covetousness has maddened his brain, it is sure to come as sure as ever you give yourself up to worldliness. The fourth table is set in a very secluded corner, in a very private part of Satan's palace. There is a table set for secret sinners, and here the old rule is observed. At that table, in a room well darkened, I see a young man sitting today in Satan as a servitor, stepping in so noiselessly that no one would hear him. He brings in the first cup, and oh, how sweet it is. It is a cup, a secret sin. Stolen waters are sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. How sweet that morsel eaten all alone. Was there ever one that rolled so delicately under the tongue? This is the first. After that he brings in another, the wine of an unquiet conscience. The man's eyes are opened. He says, what have I done? What have I been doing? Ah, cries the saken. The first cup you brought me I saw sparkling and a wedge of gold and a goodly Babylonish garment. And I thought, oh, I must have that. But now my thought is what shall I do to bind this? Where shall I put it? I must dig. Yea, I must dig deep as hell before I shall hide it. For sure enough, it will be discovered. The grim governor of the feast is bringing in a massive bowl filled with a black mixture. The secret sinner drinks and is confounded. He fears his sin will find him out. He has no peace, no happiness. He is full of an uneasy fear. He is afraid that he shall be detected. He dreams at night that there is someone after him. There is a voice in his ear telling him I know all about it. I will tell it. He thinks perhaps that the sin which he has committed in secret will break out to his friends. The father will know it. The mother will know it. Yes, and it may be even the physician will tell the tale and blab out the wretched secret. For such a man there is no rest. He is always in dread of our rest. He is like the debtor I have read of, who owing a great deal of money was afraid the bailiffs were after him, and he happened one day to catch a sleeve on the top of a palisade, and he said, there, let me go, I'm in a hurry, I'll pay you tomorrow, imagining that someone was laying hold of him, such is a position in which the man places himself by partaking of the hidden things of dishonesty and sin. Thus he finds no rest for the sole of his foot, for fear of discovery. At last the discovery comes, it is the last cup. Often it comes on earth, for be sure your sin will find you out, and it will generally find you out here. What a frightful exhibitions are to be seen at our police courts of men that are made to drink that last black draft of discovery. a man presided at a religious meetings, the man who is honored as a saint is at last unmasked And what said the judge, And what said the world of him. He is a jest and a reproach and a rebuke everywhere, but suppose he should be so crafty that he passeth through life without discovery, though I think it is almost impossible. What a cup he must drink when he stands at last before the bar of God. Bring him forth, jailer. Dread keeper of the dungeon of hell. Lead forth the prisoner. He comes. The whole world is assembled. Stand up, sir. Did you not make a profession of religion? Did not everybody think you a saint? He is speechless. But many there are in that vast crowd who cry, We thought him so. The book is open. His deeds are read, transgression after transgression, all laid bare. Do you hear that hiss? The righteous moved to indignation. Her lifting up their voices against a man who deceived them and dwelt among them as a wolf. In sheep's clothing. Oh, how fearful it must be to bear the scorn of the universe. The good can bear the scorn of the wicked but for the wicked to bear the shame and everlasting contempt which righteous indignation will heap upon them. Oh, that will be one of the most frightful things next to the eternal endurance of the wrath of the Most High, which I need not add is the last cup of the devil's terrible feast with which the secret sinner must be filled forever and ever.